millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 36 of They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. This is part one of a two-part case, with the second instalment available tomorrow. Listener caution is advised as this episode contains adult themes and descriptions that some listeners may find distressing. On Sunday, August 15th, 2010, police were alerted to a situation on the cliffs of Beachy Head. Striking in their appearance and reaching over 500 feet from sea level, the chalk cliffs located on the coastline of East Sussex have a darker side. It is a well-known suicide spot, and it is not uncommon for foot patrols known as the Beachy Head Chaplaincy Team to provide intervention and support. Both the rescue chaplain and police negotiator spoke to a 56-year-old woman for three hours, desperately trying to persuade her to leave the cliff edge before she was escorted to safety. Around 1pm, the authorities had been alerted by a family member that the individual Georgina Challen, or Sally as she was more commonly known, had travelled there to take her own life. Sally's car was found close by. Around the same time, several police officers attended the five-bedroom home she had previously shared with her husband in Claygate, Surrey, just over 70 miles north. 
Quiet, affluent and very private, Ruxley Ridge looks just like any well-to-do suburban street in Surrey, but it's now the centre of a major investigation after police found a body at this house yesterday afternoon. Ronnie Wood lives here just up the road, but neighbours today have spoken of their shock. I suppose you would class it as a reasonably affluent area, um, area but many of us are retired. Uh, but um, uh, I, I, I'm absolutely amazed that some, um, something like this would happen on a, a road like this. After breaking down the front door of the detached property, police officers found the body of Sally's husband, Richard Challen. It was clear the 61-year-old had been bludgeoned to death. From the cliff edge during her conversations with police negotiators, Sally confessed to killing her husband the previous day, Saturday, August 14th. She was taken into custody and was subsequently arrested that evening on suspicion of murder. Sally Challen was charged two days later. David, Sally's youngest son, had to identify his father's body. Along with his brother James, the pair visited their mother while she was in custody at Bronzefield Women's Prison. Sally had not slept and was far from the well-turned-out woman they remembered, dressed in a prison-issue tracksuit, her eyes and cheeks swollen as she couldn't hold back the tears. A post-mortem carried out on the body of Richard Challen confirmed he had died from severe blunt force trauma. The pathologist concluded that the attack had been focused principally on the right side of the head, which resulted in multiple skull fractures, all consistent with a blunt instrument, possibly a hammer. There were at least nine injuries to Richard Challen's hands and arms. This suggested he made some attempts to shield himself before he was killed. Before his death, Richard Challen had retired, previously working as an estate agent, then selling motor vehicles from his car dealership in Richmond, southwest London. With news of the incident reaching the press, friends and acquaintances who had known Richard and his wife Sally were interviewed. Paula Rulandran, who had purchased the car dealership Westlake Garages from Richard after his retirement in 2008, explained that he was not aware of Richard's separation from his wife or that Richard was living alone. He was very down. I didn't know anything about it, though, Paula Rulandran said. Before that, he was very cheerful. We would have a joke together. Speaking about the incident, how little he had seen Richard's wife, and how Richard frequently used to visit the car dealership he had sold, the owner of Westlake Garages stated, It's a big shock. He was a very good man. I only met her twice, but he would come in all the time to see how I was getting on. I did not know much about selling cars when I took it on, but he would come in and help me. One of Sally's brothers, Terence Jenny, was interviewed and spoke about how hard his sister had found the separation and the difficulties she faced. The divorce should have gone through ages ago, but Richard just refused to cooperate. 
At the time it was being reported, the divorce paperwork was due to be finalised, only a few weeks after Richard Challen was found dead. Neighbours were interviewed, and one who wished to remain nameless spoke about Sally. The resident of Ruxley Ridge said, She had this tiny dog that was mauled by a fox. She was furious and went around all the neighbours warning them not to feed the local foxes. She was quite aggressive. She was a strange woman. Terence Jenny described his sister as a very gentle person, but reporters were quick to point out this comment was in stark contrast to the violent circumstances in which Sally's husband had been found. Expressing the shock and upset the family felt, Terence went on to say that he knew of no reason why it had happened. Sally and Richard had been married over 30 years, in what seemed to be a happy relationship. As the background of the couple was laid bare in the newspaper pages across Britain, it was reported Sally worked as an office manager for the Police Federation in Leatherhead, Surrey. The Police Federation being essentially a union for police officers in England and Wales, as they are forbidden by law to go on strike. Richard Challen was retired, but only two years before he left work, he was brought before a court for falsely claiming he was involved in a hit-and-run accident that required over £30,000 worth of repairs to his £90,000 Ferrari sports car. In the alleged incident, he also declared that he had suffered whiplash. From Guildford Crown Court, Richard pleaded guilty to attempting to obtain goods by deception and was handed a suspended prison sentence and community service. It was discovered that he had in fact crashed on a Belgian racetrack. He had shipped the damaged vehicle back to Surrey, telling police it had been struck by a lorry close to his home. When his insurance company could not trace the lorry he was said to have struck and launched an investigation subsequently informing the police, Richard Challen confessed. The Daily Telegraph had reported on the court case, making mention that his wife Sally, who was now in custody for taking Richard's life, had forgotten to send over some of the insurance paperwork, leaving him unaware he was uninsured for the racing event. Sally and Richard's profiles on the now-defunct networking site Friends Reunited provided a glimpse into their home life, suggesting all was not well. Sally's profile read, Married, two children, boys, working. She was a member of a group titled Separated and Divorced. Richard's profile also mentioned his unhappiness, reading, Married two children, unfortunately, living in Claygate, Isha, Surrey. Sally Challen first appeared in a brief hearing at Staines Magistrates Court to face charges before a further appearance at Guildford Crown Court via video link from HMP Bronzefield. A plea and case management hearing was scheduled towards the end of October and Sally entered a plea of not guilty to a charge of murder in December 2010. A trial would take place in May of the following year. funeral was held for Richard Challen, an understated service, 
and Sally was allowed to visit his graveside a few days later. Little was known about the reasons why she had taken her husband's life and then travelled to the cliffs of Beachy Head. There was a great deal of speculation in the press as to her motives and why she had pleaded not guilty. Some media outlets implied that Sally had been upset due to reports of her husband's alleged infidelity. It was reported that the couple were in the process of trying to mend their relationship until Sally discovered that her husband had been seeing someone else, so she attacked him. Only days following the incident, one of Richard and Sally's neighbours had been interviewed by a reporter for the Daily Mail and told them about the cause of Sally and Richard's separation. The neighbour, who chose to remain nameless, said, She moved out of the family home last year into a smaller house on a new estate half a mile away because he kept having affairs and seeing prostitutes. But they were giving it another go. I saw Sally helping Richard clear some boxes out of their shed and then they went out on a dinner date on Saturday. The next day it was tense again. She was screaming, I can't live with you and I can't live without you. Several tabloid newspapers reported that Richard Challen had been arrested during 2009 after police carried out a raid on a massage parlour only a short distance from where Sally worked. Another neighbour, Clifford Budgeon, who told a journalist for The Mirror Sally had moved away with some money she had inherited and lived with their youngest son, David. The couple's eldest son, James, was living with his girlfriend. Speaking about the Challen's marriage and confirming that the couple sought to reconcile, Clifford Budgeon said, Apparently they had been trying to get back together. She was seen in the garage clearing out boxes. They were quite introverted. He was quite an odd man. Not easy to get on with. A friend who also did not want to be identified spoke about the couple and how Sally dealt with the initial breakup. I'd known them for about 20 years. We're just in shock now. I knew they weren't getting along. I knew they had separated after a lot of years together. Sally was quite distressed about the breakup. She was extremely lonely after she moved, but I heard they were possibly getting back together again. Though it was clear that Sally had taken Richard's life on August 14th, 2010, it was hoped an answer to why would become apparent during the trial. But even then, it would be almost an entire decade before the whole truth would see the light of day. The trial began on Monday, June 13, 2011 at Guildford Crown Court. Sally Challen pleaded not guilty to the murder of her husband, Richard. Jurors were told by Defence Counsel Patrick Gibbs QC that at the time of the killing, Sally was suffering from an abnormality of mind and so her mental functions were diminished. Sally barely said a word throughout the trial, almost unrecognisable from the woman who was known by her friends to always be talkative, endlessly discussing her husband who by all accounts she was madly in love with. Now with her hair unkempt, a missing front tooth 
and her fingers stained yellow from the endless cigarettes she had been smoking while in custody, Sally was a shadow of her former self. In her opening remarks, the prosecutor Caroline Carberry QC explained that Sally's actions were due to her jealousy and suspicion that her husband was romantically involved with someone else, even though the couple had planned to reconcile. The pair had, in the prosecutor's words, enjoyed a good life together in a large detached house in Surrey. Over a number of years, Sally was suspicious her husband was sleeping with other women, so often monitored his emails and phone calls. Her suspicions would later be justified. The couple's relationship slowly dissolved and they split up in 2009. Caroline Carberry QC said at the time, Richard was unaware his wife had secretly purchased a property close to the home they shared before divorce proceedings began, stopping and starting around 13 times. Sally had found the separation hard. Although her friends told her to let go, she kept in contact with Richard and they agreed to try and pick up the pieces of their marriage in 2010. On August 14th, Sally arrived at the home the couple had previously shared to help tidy the property which was going to be let out. Although still living apart, the couple planned to travel to Australia for six months to rebuild their relationship. A decree nisi had been granted on their marriage, this being the provisional stage when the courts are satisfied that divorce proceedings can go ahead. But Sally asked for this to be rescinded and agreed to some terms laid out by Richard. He also agreed to stop seeing other women. Sally had suspicions about her husband's faithfulness. They thought the time away out of the country would be the fresh start she so desperately wanted. As the pair were tidying the house in Ruxley Ridge, Sally was asked by Richard to buy some items for lunch. He wanted a cooked breakfast, despite it being the afternoon. They had no food at the property, so Sally left in the pouring rain to go shopping and returned around 3pm. While Richard was upstairs getting changed, Sally noticed that his phone had been moved. Using the device, Sally dialed 1471. In the UK, this provides the caller with the option to contact the last number dialed. Sally called the number. A woman answered. This turned out to be Sue Wills, someone that Richard had met on the networking website Dinner Dates. Jurors were told he had made contact with Sue, as due to high winds, he was cancelling a boat trip that the two had planned to the Isle of Wight. Richard left a voicemail. Sue Wills in turn called back and unable to get through, also left a voicemail suggesting they meet for lunch at her home. The pair had previously met several times, once on a group holiday, although the relationship was platonic. Sue Wills would later tell the court about how she struggled to contact Richard the day after he died. I did call him the next morning, that afternoon because I thought he might have had a heart attack and I was worried. I thought that he was a lovely person. He had a good sense of humour. 
around 3.30pm after cooking her husband's sausage, bacon and eggs on Saturday, August 14th. Sally confronted him about his contact with Sue Wills, first asking if perhaps they were going to see each other the following day, fully aware he was making plans with someone else. He replied, Don't question me, Sally. Don't question me. As Richard Challen ate at the kitchen table, from behind, Sally hit him with a hammer. Richard's injuries suggested he had been struck around 20 times. Sally had brought the weapon with her, concealed in a handbag. She would later describe her actions as an out-of-body experience. After stuffing a tea towel in his mouth in case Richard was still breathing, Sally covered the body with some old blankets she found in the garage. She took off her socks and went upstairs, changing into a pair of Richard's trousers, a jumper and a pair of his socks. Sally went home where she typed a note that was later returned to the scene. She spent the evening at the property she shared with her youngest son. He did not notice anything that would suggest what she had done. The following day, Sally rang her cousin confessing that she had murdered her husband. She was at Beachy Head and planned to take her own life. Sally said, I killed him with a hammer. I hit him lots of times. If I can't have him, no one can. The police were subsequently contacted. Sally was at first spotted by Ross Whitaker one of the rescue chaplains that regularly walks the area close to the cliff edge. He calmly spoke with her before police officers arrived at the scene. While at the cliff edge, Sally repeated her admission that she had taken her husband's life. Prosecutor Caroline Carberry QC spoke about Sally's actions, telling the court, quote, Taking a weapon from the toolbox at her home, as she told police, and bringing it that day indicates you might think some degree of planning or premeditation. At the time she killed him, she believed that he was having an affair and that his attempts at a reconciliation were a ruse. Sally Challen exhibited behaviour which is all too common among people whose relationships are under strain. Spying, checking emails, phone messages, feelings of jealousy, insecurity and suspicion. Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. Missing Richard after they had first split up, Sally sent her husband an email which read, I want to be with you. I am sorry I left. We are soulmates. We have been together so long. I can't see a future without you. Richard replied, including the terms of their reconciliation. I will consider your return only on these terms. You will continue and complete the divorce only with a £200,000 settlement. Then when we go out together, it means together. This constant talking to strangers is rude and inconsiderate. We will agree to items in the home together. To give up smoking. To give up your constant interruptions when I am speaking. Sally was asked by Richard to sign what was described as a post-nuptial agreement so that he did not have to bear any significant financial cost when the pair divorced. The day before the incident, Sally had visited her solicitor. She was told that signing anything of this nature was a bad idea. The advice was ignored. Sally was fraught and simply wanted her husband back. It was Richard who suggested they travel to Australia. Giving evidence on behalf of the defence, both of Sally's sons explained that their mother's actions were influenced by their father's dominant behaviour, in which he exerted control over their mother. As a consequence, 
she suffered low self-esteem. She had not been happy for the last 10 years. Following the breakup, she started to drink more and was diagnosed with depression. She was prescribed medication, although she did not take it. A friend of the couple, Sarah Noble, addressed the court, telling the jury about the incident in which Richard was arrested and how Sally struggled to cope. Quote, There had been a raid on a brothel which had involved Richard, and she later saw it on the telly, and it upset her. She could not get it out of her mind. Discussing Sally, the witness continued, She was madly in love with Richard, and she said he was her world. She struggled to be with him, but it was worse to be away from him. Richard was more able to detach himself. I got the impression that Richard wanted to control her. He wanted her to stop smoking. She was not to talk to people when she was out, and she was not to interrupt him if he was speaking. Suzanne Anderson, Sally's cousin, was aware that Sally was being controlled and testified that Richard pulled the strings in the marriage and Sally was made to dance. After Sally's arrest, a suicide note was discovered in her car. It read, Richard said he would take me back if I signed a post-nuptial agreement. I said I would, and we both saw solicitors yesterday. Then I found out he was seeing someone and sleeping with them and had no intention of taking me back. It was all a game so he could get everything. He was going to get me to sign and then issue divorce proceedings. I can't live without him. Said it would take him time, but he felt the same. Now I find he is seeing women and sleeping with them. He did this in order to get his own back on me. All those prostitutes and other women. How could he? Please look after David, James and Peppy. I am sorry, but I can't live without Richard. All my love, Sally. A video recording made while Sally Challen was first interviewed by police was played to the court. Sally told officers that after she travelled in the rain to her former marital home that Saturday armed with a hammer, she quietly crept up behind her husband as he was eating lunch. I hit him again and again, she said. He fell to the floor and I hit him again and again. They said I hit him 12 times or so and, oh God, I love him. When I hit him, I still loved him. I have always loved him. That's what you have to understand. Even if he treated me like shit, I couldn't live without him. Sally told officers that she purchased some alcohol and cigarettes before she penned a suicide note. The following morning, she dropped off her youngest son David to his place of work at a Carluccio's restaurant. She said to him, You know I love you, don't you? In the interview footage, Sally said that after the attack, she had first travelled to a multi-storey car park. Finding the car park shut, she drove to the cliff edge in East Sussex. They got lost a number of times asking several passers-by for directions, as the instructions she had printed were unclear. 
After she parked her car in the heavy wind, she noticed a spot where small crosses had been planted in the ground. She climbed over the wire at the cliff edge and stood ready to jump. During the negotiation, she was told, you'll be leaving your sons without a mother and a father. That was the comment which spurred her to take a step back. After telling officers how she felt numb after the attack, she said, I wanted to be with Richard, and I don't know why I did what I did. I loved him, but everything was always on his terms, what he wanted, when he wanted it, how he wanted it. Before I just took it, I accepted it. I felt if I couldn't have Richard, no one else could. While giving testimony from the stand, Sally was asked if she meant to kill her husband. I suppose I must have, she replied. She was asked by her defence counsel, Patrick Gibbs QC, Did you love him? Yes, she said. Why did you kill him? I don't know. I just didn't think that he wanted to be with me. I don't know, Sally replied. She had at first told police that she brought the hammer to break up furniture. However, went on to say, I accept that this is not the real reason. My brother suggested I say that as it sounded better. Something triggered me to take the hammer. In evidence presented by the prosecution, consultant forensic psychiatrist Dr. Paul Galuli came to the conclusion that Sally was not suffering from any mental disorder he could identify at the time. He believed she was of sound mind when she took her husband's life. Sally documented the disintegration of her marriage in a diary, details of which were read to the court. She believed that the affair started in 2004, after Richard began to attend a salsa class. Sally made entries every time she thought that her husband had been unfaithful. She counted the number of his Viagra pills to see how many were missing. She monitored his internet search history, his Facebook account, asked a neighbour to spy on him and look through his receipts. She even secretly followed him. From a nearby car park, she watched on as he went into a brothel called Pandora's Box in Surbiton, Surrey. She waited for an hour before he left the building. Sally attempted to confront him, but upon seeing her, he jumped into his car and drove off. Sally also got into her car and followed Richard, who sped through the streets back to the property they shared. When Sally returned home, she found her husband in the kitchen, making himself a cup of tea. He denied that he paid for sex, explaining that he was arranging a car sale to one of the employees there. He told Sally she was going mad, telling her that he had no idea why she thought he was being unfaithful. Sally would later find the number for the business in Richard's phone records. Documenting the relationship with her husband, Sally Challen's diaries perhaps shine a light on her struggles. An extract read as follows. August 3rd, 2004. 
asked him for a kiss. He said he didn't want to be forced to do something he didn't want to do. August 16th, Packet V, Viagra, in suit jacket. Liar, liar, pants on fire. October 6th, found receipt for Dominion Theatre for drinks on June 25th, when he said he was at the Nürburgring. November 11th, lost three stone in stress. November 12th, finding London Eye tickets when he was in Germany. He doesn't know how they got there. Said he wouldn't pay for my ticket to Australia if I didn't stop asking. Bastard. November 30th. Nothing changed. He is still the same. Embarrassing to watch. Everyone comments on it. I'm sick of being treated this way. I have my own life too. This isn't the one I want. December 16th. I've decided. Everyone agrees with me. He's a ladies' man. I'm sick and tired of his behaviour. Every time he sees a young woman, he leers. December 11th, 2006. I saw him going into Pandora's in Surbiton. February 15th, 2008. Finding it hard to function at home and at work. August 6th, 2009. A woman called. Evidence put forward by the defence to support their argument of diminished responsibility came from a psychiatric report produced by Dr Tim Exworthy. He concluded that Sally was suffering from a depressive disorder at the time of the killing, the opposite finding to the prosecution. Dr Exworthy had met with Sally several times and studied her medical history. However, when cross-examined, he was forced to admit that any disorder Sally was suffering from at the time may have been mild, as she was highly functioning. As part of their strategy, the defence chose not to focus on Richard Challen's behaviour towards his wife, much of which would not be known until after the trial. Family and friends would later say they believed that the defence team did not want to attack the character of someone who had been bludgeoned to death, as the jury would look unfavourably on the defendant. On Wednesday, June 22, 2011, 11 days after the trial began, the jury retired. Sally Challen's counsel had argued that although Sally had taken her husband's life, her mental state was affected due to severe depression loosely mentioning her husband's controlling behaviour. The jury of six men and six women were faced with three options in regards to their verdict. After direction from the judge Christopher Critchlow, they were told they had to determine if Sally was guilty of a. manslaughter on the grounds of diminished responsibility b. manslaughter by provocation or c. She had intentionally murdered her husband Richard Challen and was of sound mind when she carried out the act. Sally had been presented by the prosecution as a wife who was fixated on revenge for her husband's infidelity. 
the defence painted a far more complex picture, with some of the facts missing. At the time, coercive control was not widely understood. Had the signs been recognised, perhaps there might have been a different outcome and even a different approach taken by the defence. Furthermore, there were details left out, unheard by the jury. Sally had been abused, not only mentally, but physically. Jury deliberations followed into the next day, taking around 11 and a half hours. On June 23rd, they arrived at a unanimous decision. A gasp rang out in the courtroom. Georgina Sarah Anne Louise Challen, known as Sally, was found guilty of murdering her husband Richard. Screams and sobs were heard from the public gallery from members of Sally's family who had been supporting her throughout the trial. She would be facing a life sentence. During mitigation, her counsel Patrick Gibbs QC spoke of Sally's good character before the incident and went on to describe how her physical and mental state had been affected before the attack. She is not a danger to anyone, save arguably to herself, he said. Her greatest punishment here will, of course, be that she really, really loved him. He's the only man she ever loved, and she will never be with him again because she killed him. Though the judge agreed that he could see some influencing factors, he was sentencing Sally for what was described as a frenzied attack. The judge explained there were signs of premeditation as she had a weapon concealed in her handbag and there was evidence that Sally had taken the same hammer to the home she had shared with Richard three weeks before, though had not used it. Addressing Sally, who was in tears, the judge said, You hit him from behind with a hammer you deliberately brought from your own home. You couldn't bear his friendship with other women and were jealous, thinking he was sleeping with them. You could never forgive him for going to see a prostitute in 2006. You found yourself being eaten up with jealousy of his relationship with other women. You decided that if you couldn't have him, nobody would. The judge went on to say, You are somebody who has killed the only man you had known and loved, and you will have to live knowing what you have done. Sally Challen was ordered to serve a minimum of 22 years behind bars. As she was led from the dock, she looked hopeless, her eyes firmly fixed on her two sons, David and James. Following the verdict, Detective Chief Inspector Chris Raymer from Surrey Police told reporters, This has been an extremely sad and difficult time for the family and friends of this couple, in particular their two sons, and our thoughts remain with them.
Over the subsequent months, defence counsel Patrick Gibbs QC successfully argued Sally's case and she was granted leave to appeal the length of her sentence. The case found its way to the Court of Appeal during November 2011, five months after Sally was found guilty of the murder of her husband, Richard. Overseen by the then Lord Chief Justice of England and Wales Lord Judge, Mr Justice Royce and Mr Justice Globe, the appeal scrutinised how the trial judge, Judge Christopher Critchlow, calculated the minimum term Sally was to serve. Referencing the Criminal Justice Act 2003, Judge Critchlow used Schedule 21, Paragraph 5A as his starting point when sentencing Sally, but reduced the term by three years based on the mitigating factors. The sentencing guidelines from the Criminal Justice Act reads, Where the offender takes a knife or other weapon to the scene, intending to a. commit any offence, or b. have it available to use as a weapon and use the knife or other weapon in committing the murder, then normally the offence is to be regarded as sufficiently serious for the starting point to be 25 years. What was noticed, however, was the trial judge initially adopted a starting point of 15 years, as based on the facts presented, he did not see the crime to be a case of particularly high seriousness. When the aforementioned section of the Criminal Justice Act regarding taking not just a knife but any weapon to the scene was highlighted, the judge then increased the starting point. The appeal judges disagreed with the judgment of Judge Critchlow on how the sentencing guidelines were applied, highlighting the trial judge's initial thoughts and how the advice on starting points was, quote, not to be applied mechanistically. The decision was also reached after reading some of the statements made by both of Sally Challen's sons, in which they did not harbour any ill will towards their mother, only sadness about the situation. In fact, Sally's sons believed their father drove their mother to do what she did. While the judges were cautious taking statements such as these into account, they felt Sally Challen's sentence was excessive and should be lowered. Sally's term was reduced, with her minimum sentence being set to 18 years. Sally's new home was a closed category women's jail. The closed category prisoner is one whom the very highest conditions of security are not necessary, but who present too high a risk for open conditions, or whom open conditions are not appropriate, as it is felt they cannot be trusted. Sally was a model prisoner, undertaking counselling. She was nicknamed Teardrop by her fellow inmates. The slightest act of kindness or positive comment would move her to tears. To break up the countless hours Sally spent reading, watching television and knitting, her two sons would visit her every month. For two hours over a hot drink, James and David spoke about the changes in their lives. Along with clothes and the odd essential, the best thing that Sally's sons brought her was the comfort that she had not been forgotten. They continued to support their mother, 
even though she ended the life of their father. This is the end of episode 36. To hear the concluding part of the case of Sally Challen, please tune in tomorrow. Thank you for listening. A very special thank you also goes out to our new Patreon producer Matthew Wiltshire and everyone who supports us through Patreon. We can be contacted via our social media accounts on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram and we welcome listener case suggestions, so please do feel free to get in touch. Information on this episode can be found in the show notes or on our website, theywalkamonguspodcast.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.